Hi, I'm Alex Von David. I adapted and directed the English dubs of Sword Art Online and Kill the Kill. And you all are listening to a Toonami Faithful podcast exclusive. Hope you enjoy it. Hello and welcome to the Toonami Faithful Podcast. I am your host, Sketch, and with me I have my co-host, Paul Pascrillo. Hey, Lou. He's being a bit quiet because his recording circumstances aren't the best right now. (laughs) And I don't want to get stabbed either. Ah, but he wants to be here because we are delighted to bring on Alex Von David, the ADR director and script writer for many of the great shows you love on Toonami, such as Kill a Kill, Blue Exorcist, and, of course, Sword Art Online. Hi, guys. How's it going? Thanks for having me on. Thanks oh, it's for going being good on. now. <laughs> <laughs> now, we often interview voice actors and occasionally interview people in other parts of the industry, but there's got to be a lot of people out there that doesn't even realize how many different jobs there are in the anime industry. Mm-hmm. Usually when we interview a voice actor, we ask, well, how did you end up uh, deciding to be a voice actor? Because that that's usually a very clear path at, at some point, or maybe they kind of fall into it. But getting a script writing job and a directing job, I'd, I'd have to imagine that's a very different path. So how did you get into the anime industry? Ah, uh, okay, so... Um... It's hmm, interesting. Um, I guess, well, for starters, most um, most of the folks who write and uh, direct the dubs for anime are actually voice actors. Um, um, usually, like people like Tony Oliver, Wendy Lee, Kirk Thornton, uh, Richard Epcar, um, Michael McConaughey. Those are just you know Talisa Jaffe, um, Stephanie Shea, <laughs> Patrick Seitz. I could go on. Um, they all started as voice actors. Um, well, actually, Stephanie, no. She started off in the business doing something else, but that's something that you should probably ask her. Um, but for me, um, it was... Um, I, 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 I was directing commercials for about nine years, and um, the industry sort of had enough of me, and I was just, I was just in, a, in a moment, a, a period of flux in my life and didn't really know what I was going to do or anything. And um, Christy Reed uh, is a friend of mine from film school. Uh, We went to Art Center College of Design in Pasadena together. And so we stayed in touch after we graduated and, you know, we went off to pursue our different things. And um, um, this is, I swear to God, this is the story of how I got into it. I was helping her out with a documentary she was doing on the side about film school. And... um, and then I, I think one day I had taken the camera and was interviewing one of the one of the folks we were we had on the in the documentary, and she said, "Hey, could you please swing swing by my work, um, and drop off the tapes because I'm going to be digitizing them." I was like, "Okay, sure." So she gave me the address and I went by, and um, I was like, "Bang zoom." Uh, so okay, so I walked in, and then um, and then you know handed off the tapes. She was uh, she was in between sessions or something on something she was doing. And then I'm like, what the hell do you do here? And she's like, oh, you know, you know, like dubbing for anime and stuff like that, live action movies. I'm like, oh, shit, seriously? And I'm like, wow, that's weird. Can I just sit in and check it out for a little bit? She's like, yeah, sure. So I, you know, 
watched her, um, you know, I forget what show she was doing at the time. And so I just sort of sat there and like watched for like 10, 15 minutes or something like that. And then I think it was a short session or something, but then it turned out she, you know, she, we ended up outside afterwards and she said, Oh, you want to meet the guy who runs the place? I'm like, yeah, sure. So then she introduced me to uh, Eric Sherman. Um, and, and he started talking to me and we just kind of hit it off sort of, I guess. And, um, I just asked him a bunch of questions about what it was and all this stuff. And he said, Oh, well, you know, this, you know, dub anime and dub live action movies. And it's, uh, you know, this is what I've been doing for a number of years now. Started in my garage. Like, oh, that's a cool story. And then <clears throat> I asked him, so what does it take to do this? And he said, oh, well, you know, uh, come by tomorrow and we'll talk. And um, so I went by and he was, uh, I came by the next day and, and he was directing something. So I sat in on that session and watched him and watched how things were going. And, um, and then afterwards we talked some more and I had brought my reel with me because he was interested to see some of the commercials I had done. And, um, and then, uh, talked some more and, and I, and he asked me, do you think he'd be interested in this? And I said, um, yeah, sure. So then he gave me a scene from Gungrave that he, I think he was working on that at the time, or maybe he had just finished it. He gave me like this little, you know, two, three page scene from Gungrave and the video and then this little packet that he had made up about how, um, about basically how to do what, what, you know, the writing and directing stuff, sort of. And so I went home with that stuff and I tried matching, you know, tried adapting the translation to match the lip flaps as best as I could based on the video that I had. Um, and then the next day I, or I emailed it back in and the next day he called me up and he said, Oh, this is pretty cool. Uh, you know, can you come by and check this out uh, again today? I'm recording a session. So I went by again and watched him, you know, record for a little while and then asked him questions afterwards. And that's how I started. That was like t almost 10 years ago now. And that's the, that's the short version. Wow. <laughs> so, yeah. That's it was pretty, the short version? Jeez. Yeah. No, there's, there's all sorts of weird little twists and turns to it <laughs> that I didn't even mention just because it's like, you know, it's, I don't, I don't think you guys have the bandwidth. But anyway. Um, <laughs> oh, we got the bandwidth. Okay. Oh, then I, I, I don't know if you guys have the attention spans to hang on because some of it gets really boring. Ah. But anyway, it's, that's how I ended up in it. Um, it was not something I ever considered um, ever before. It's not something I really ever paid attention to. Um, when I was a, a really small kid, I remember um, there used to be a channel in Santa Monica that um, in the afternoons they would show Speed Racer, um, Johnny Sacco and Giant Robot, and Ultraman. And I watched it and I loved it. Um, didn't really get the, the, I didn't know that it was, you know, from Japan or any of that stuff. I just was like, oh, these are cool little shows. And, you know, Ultraman's badass. And so is Giant Robot. I mean, what kid doesn't want a Giant Robot? So it was kind of like anime, Japanese pop culture and stuff. It was always kind of there in my life anyway, sort of. But it was never any, anything that I wanted to pursue because, uh, I mean, ultimately, I, I mean, I went to film school so I could make movies or be a director or whatever. Um, and, and then just so happened that I just fell into it. Honestly, that's how it happened. 
That is a very interesting path to a career. It is. It is. And it's one that, you know, it's, it's, it's one that's had its ups and downs. Um, it's, it's not been easy. Um, but, uh, honestly, it's something that I'm, it's something that I feel really good about doing. Um, it's something that I, (laughs) here's the story. So, um, at Anime Expo about two years ago, um, Anaplex uh, put on this Blue Exorcist panel. And uh, the producer on Blue Exorcist, actually the producer uh, from Anaplex on all of the jobs that I've done for Anaplex, uh, Hiroe Tsukumoto, she, um, she invited me to be a part of the proceedings too, um, which automatically I was like, why would any of these fans even care about what I do? I mean, my job is to, is to you know, kind of just disappear in the story, you know? It's not a job that's, like, out there uh, that people know about. And that year, after the panel was done, I, like, uh, she asked me if I'd MC the panel, um, and I was like, yeah, sure, that sounds like fun. Afterwards, she asked me to sit down at the autograph table with the actors. And I don't know if Kyle Hebert remembers this, but he was sitting right next to me at the time. And this um, one fan uh, came up to me, and she was dressed, I believe, as Mephisto. And she just, without even saying anything, I, I think I said, hi, how's it going? And she said, thank you so much for, for doing what you did and being a part of it and making, helping to make this show like so fun because it got me through some tough times. And I was like, oh, I, I guess maybe I might be of some value in this profession somehow to someone. And that was like the first time I thought what I'm doing actually kind of means a lot to people. Oh yeah. So it's, I mean, it's, I've always known that they're, you know, anime fans are so passionate. I mean, fans in general, whatever. I mean, they wouldn't be called fans unless they were passionate about it. And Mm -hmm. that was always something that, you know, was always in the back of my mind. And I was always respectful of it, very respectful of it to a point. um, Because there's quite a quite an amount of people who are complete assholes too. <laughs> you know, just oh, just to, oh we oh. don't know anything about that. No. Yeah. Nope. I mean, <laughs> I mean, it's you know, but after that thing, um, after after that moment happened, um, I, I was just I, you know, I, I think I turned to Kyle and I was just I looked at him and he just looked back at me and he gave me that big Kyle Bear smile and he's like, there you go. And I'm like, yeah, there it is. Ever since then, it's like I, I've I've attacked jobs with a lot more. Um, what's the word? I wouldn't. Maybe it's passion. I'm not sure, but um, definitely I've raised raised the stakes for myself on everything since that. So hmm. it's uh, it's it's. It's just I just want to push myself even harder and work even harder to to you know help make these things work in English for audiences. Um, that's that's my ultimate goal. Wow, that's that's really fantastic because in adaptation, it's very important to find the right words to translate things to, mm. and. Obviously, when when somebody is compelled by a story, it's the words that are really getting to them. Yeah. 
it's it's um, for all the dubs that I've watched on my own. Um, um, not naming dubs, not naming the shows, or calling out the shows, or naming names, or anything like that. Um, I I would I would go off of people's recommendations. Oh, you know what? You want to see a good dub? You got to watch this shit, man, because this thing's gonna blow your mind. Fucking amazing performances, blah blah blah. Oh, by the way, I hope you don't mind I'm saying shit and fuck. No, that's all right. Okay. Um, is that gonna is that gonna make it too much work to edit out? No, no, no. Okay. Are you? Um, did you listen to Ben? <laughs> you know, I listened to it, but I want to be respectful of your guys' format. <laughs> I, I just well, trust wanna... me, that's our format. Trust okay. me. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um. So. So I would listen to these dubs because, you know, it was also part of my learning process um, because I kind of did get thrown into this job. Um, I, I wasn't doing anime right off the bat. I was actually working on primarily live action things. And then gradually, um, Bang Zoom would give me like the odd low budget one off job or something. I think the very first anime that I ever worked on was something called Mirage of Blaze, Rivers, Rebels of the River's Edge, and um, and and I think Stephanie Shea adapted one of the scripts or something like that. It was like it was, it was an OVA that was broken into three parts or something, and it was one of those things where I, in the live action things, I could I uh, Michael McConaughey wrote the very first script I ever directed a voice session in. And so I learned a lot from that. Um, I learned a lot from Stephanie's script. Um, and then I would watch these dubs that other people were doing. And nine times out of ten, I there would you know the the scene would be going on, and then all of a sudden, I I would just like kind of like be pulled out of the story because of a very oddly phrased line, or it, it's. A performance that was just—it seemed like it existed in a totally different story, or something like that—and and so I, I I would kind of like watch myself when I was working to make sure and and not let those moments happen. Um, sometimes they happen, and you know it's a result of like a client who is very adamant that the that the wording cannot be changed for this particular line, like. Ask not what the ask not the sparrow how the eagle soars or something like that, um, which is a line I, I, I wouldn't have changed anyway. Um, that's from Kill a Kill. It's something Satsuki says in episode three, I think. Um, and but, but you know because but there there's when you get a translated script, every line of dialogue is like that. Every line of dialogue is pretty much ask not the sparrow how the eagle soars. And then you have to go. Wait a second. What, what is who? Who is saying this line? How old are they? Why are they saying the line? What time period is this? And then you're sort of going from there and tweaking it into something that works for you know whatever universe the story and the characters are playing around in. Um, and that's like the biggest challenge actually is doing that. Um, you know. Uh, the most extreme example of what I do when I adapt something is Takarada from Kill a Kill. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, if you have access to the DVD or the Blu-ray, um, 
switch on the subtitles and listen to the English dub, and those subtitles are pretty much what I was working off of as a translation. Um, and when when I got to that point in Kill a Kill, um, I, Takarata was always in the back of my head because I think I started working on Kill a Kill. Uh, I started writing episode one, and Kill a Kill was maybe 18 episodes, 17 or 18 episodes in in Japan. So we were getting the subtitled streams at the same time, so I was watching that with everybody else. Um, so I knew as much of the story as everybody else. Um, didn't know where the story was going. Didn't know the arcs of the characters fully yet. I just had what I knew from the from the subtitle show, the translation in front of me, and you know that was it. Um, but it had passed the Takarada episode, and I remember laughing my ass off when he showed up on screen and was like, "Oh my god, what a cool little character!" Um, but I mean, when you look at him, what do you think? He's got a grill, he's got chains, he's got a fur, and he's fanning himself with a stack of cash. <laughs> I mean, the one thing that comes to my mind are, like, you know, imagery from, like, black exploitation films from the 70s, like the Mac, you know, or Superfly. Um, and his attitude, um, you know, sitting on his throne, throwing money at people, and then based on what the translation was saying, I was like, this guy's, this guy's like a wannabe pimp. Well, fuck it, he is a pimp, in a way. Um, and and so I, I put that away, I filed that away, and got to work on the show, and eventually I got to that episode. And and eventually I got to his very first line, what's up, Yohanoji Academy dipshits. Um, well, that's what it became. Um, <clears throat> so his first line happens, and then I'm like, ah, screw it, I'm going to try it. So I wrote... What's up, Yuhonoji Academy dipshits? And it fit the flaps. And I was like, okay, so it's it seems like it's right for the character. Just if you hear that line coming from this character, um, it seems like that's the right thing for him to say. It's also pretty much what the translation is saying, because <laughs> the translation is an introduction. He's introducing himself. So um, I forget what the actual line is translated, but something about... Uh, something sort of the same thing. So I was, I was, I was keeping true to the intention of what's going on, um, and then I hit the next line, and I, I looked at the mouth flaps. I listened to it in Japanese because it's a, a when you're adapting these things, it's a very stop-start type of process. You go line by line, effort by effort. Um, you have a piece of video with time code. Um, you have a script that has time code for each line in each effort and you just which cue you into where this line is supposed to start um, and where the next line is supposed to begin. Got to talk about his second line in the show and I the translation, what he was saying was very it was it sounded like a translation. It certainly didn't sound like something this character would say that would come out of his mouth. And then I just started in again. I'm Kaneo Takarada, student council, council president, Naniwa Kumon H, you know, and it all fit. And then I thought, oh my God, I better write a note to the client. So I, so I wrote a little note in the little cell on my script to Kiyoe, the producer for Nanoplex on the job. And I, and it said, 
Actually, hang on. Let me see if I can. Let me see if I can bring it up. <laughs> I, I gotta. I gotta. I gotta hear. I gotta. I gotta remember. I, I can't remember what I what I told her, but or what I wrote to her. But let me see if I can find it. Well, don't worry. You can reveal this on the show. It's fine. Okay. <laughs> let me see. It was something. It wasn't. It wasn't like bad or anything like that. But it was basically just warning her about what was happening. Um. Uh. Because um. I remember. Oh, here it is. Um, <laughs> AVD to Hiroi. I'm writing this character using hip hop slang, and that's it. <laughs> so, then, so then, you know what? I was balls deep in it. Now, you know, it was like I'm committed. I got to keep going, and I just i I hope I can. I I hope if the flats screw me up, I can write myself out of it, because now I've established a character in English to do a very particular thing. And usually with characters from Osaka who have these kinds of personalities, um, I mean, the whole, the whole thing about his character is, is he's kind of like how Tokyo, how people from Tokyo view people from Osaka. And it's, mm-hmm. it's, uh, but it's, it's, it's played for laughs. It's not played as like a mean stereotype. Um, but it's kind of like, it's, it, this is the kind of like the anime stereotype. And so the folks that triggered totally knew what they were doing when they, were, when they came up with this character and the way he behaves. And they exploded him to like a thousand. In English dubs, um, it seems to be the rule that if you're dealing with a character from Osaka, you give him kind of like a slight southern accent. Yeah, um, I've heard that a lot. Yeah, that's kind of like the rule. Which honestly, is like, it bothers me. <laughs> I don't well, like it. Well, again, it's kind of like it's one of those things where, um, you know, if a story's taking place in Japan and the character is Japanese and you're dubbing it into English, you're already making kind of like a big hurdle right there. Oh, definitely. Right? So why would you give the fucking character a, a, a southern drawl? It, like, it doesn't make any sense to me. Um, but, I mean, I've... I, I'm trying to remember in the shows that I've done, have I ever done that? And I don't think I have ever done that before. But I mean, oh wait a second. Oh, that wasn't in. Sorry, never mind. I gave yeah no, I did give a character a southern draw, but it didn't. It wasn't taking place in quote unquote Japan. It was this apocalyptic netherworld. So anyway, I, I'm safe. I'm good. <laughs> I'm consistent. So I'm not a hypocrite. No, I'm. I, no, I'm not. Um, and if, by all means, if anybody finds out that I am being hypocritical, call me out on it because it's probably because I just forgot about something. It's, it's an innocent mistake. Um, so anyway, I kept on writing this thing, and then I sent the script in for episode 14 to the client, and then um, and then Hitoe wrote back, "Sounds good," and I'm like, <laughs> "Okay." Um, but again, I had conversations with her also afterwards just to make sure that she was okay because doing this is kind of a big commitment because I'm expending a lot of energy and a lot of brain power, you know, trying to keep his dialogue fresh, right? Um, and and trying to make sure that he is, um, he is uh, uh, divulging the information that the original translation is divulging. Um, because ultimately that's, you know, you, you have to do that as a script adapter. You can't like just start making shit up because then you're changing the story. Um, so I talked to her a little bit about it just to let her know. And she said, Oh yeah, you know what? I don't understand what he's saying, but if you say it's close to the, I mean, she was kidding obviously, but still it was like, I think it's going to work, 
But now the problem here is, is if you really like this, because it's not too late to change all his dialogue. If you really like this and you want to go for it, who the fuck are we going to get to play this character? <laughs> <laughs> and and now I was worried because um, it needs it, this kind of character needs an actor who knows what they're doing with these words. They can't half-ass it. And after a couple of days, um, Hugh and I were, I think we were recording uh, the previous batch of, of Kill the Killer. We were doing something, um, maybe viewing a mix or something. And I brought it up again. And I said, who are we going to get to play this guy? Because, I mean, I, I really don't know. Whoever, whoever Mami, the casting director, Mami Okada is the casting director at Bang Zoom. Um, whoever she brings in, I, I hope that, um, or, or not brings in, but whoever she asks for an audition, um, I hope she gives them this script or a couple of scenes from the script so that we can hear how they handle these words and how they handle this kind of personality. Because this personality has a risk of being offensive if not handled right, you know? Um, and I certainly don't want that to happen because he's not supposed to be an offensive character. He's supposed to be a, a jester. Um, and um, I, that was when Hiroe said, what do you think about Ben? And I was like, well, okay, I've never worked with Ben before except for episode one when he did Fukuroda, the boxing club captain. That was my very first experience with the man known as Ben Diskin. Um, I loved it. I thought he was great. He brought this energy to Fukuroda that was, I mean, it was fantastic. Um, he paid attention to the, to the lip flaps. Like, I, I mean, his sync was impeccable um, with the dialogue that I had for Fukuroda. And some of it had weird little hitches. And hitches are the spaces in between, um, you know, when the mouth completely closes for like a beat or two and then opens up again. And so he, the way he navigated his way through those hitches was just, it was astonishing. Here's this young guy, and he was as good as like, you know, Wendy Lee or Tony Oliver or Kirk Thornton, you know, I mean, he was like, or Michael McConaughey, I mean, any of the veterans, Michelle Ruff. Um, and it was just like, the, that day when we recorded Fukuroda, or the very first session we recorded Fukuroda, it was like, at the end of it, Kito and I, after Ben left and said goodbye, Kito and I were like, where the hell has he been on our shows before? So when Hiroe mentioned his name, I was like, we blew that load already, Hiroe. I mean, he was the he was the guest villain in episode, you know, one. What you know, what do we do? Um, and she's like, mm, well, you know, let's see what happens. And I'm like, okay. So she contacted mommy at Bang Zoom, and then mommy gave Ben the script, a, a couple of bits of the script to read. And I wish I could play it for you. I don't think I can legally. Um, but oh, we, we won't tell anybody. No, don't. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even think I have it anymore, which is a crime because it was such a funny audition. But what you hear in the show is the is pretty much what he did in the audition. It was really? the same kind of energy, pretty much the same voice. I don't think it changed very much at all. Um, but it was it was the spark that he put into it. It was how he made the. It was how he made the line sort of dance. That's the best way I could describe it, is he made the dialogue dance. 
and and then he fucked up and he was like ah shit what the fuck am i saying i don't know i don't give a fuck Ben just get out you know and that was the end of his audition <laughs> and, and so number and so right then and there i was like in love with him again because it was wow this actor knows he's got this down and he's brave enough to screw something up get himself out of it stay in character go ahead and drop an f-bomb and be cool with it and send it in as an audition and i'm like that's the kind of person who needs to be on this show <laughs> and so i mean i was like after i after i heard that audition right away i contacted qa and i was like sold I was like, done. Yeah, this is great. He sounds different enough from Fukuroda. I'm, I'm fine. And he was like, yeah, I still don't get what he's saying. Of course, she's joking. But it was like, it was one of those things. And then first day he came in, I just gave him sort of the run through. I said, uh, but he already came in prepared. He had already, he knew, he knew the show. Um, he pretty much knew his character because um, I believe he did watch the episode. Um, I'm pretty sure he did, actually. Um, and so I just gave him a couple of things. I said, listen, I just, I just want to make sure that you have fun with him, um, that we don't get too serious with the reads. Um, because I'm very concerned with this kind of character being offensive to someone. And we just started up and we started up on his very first line. What's up? You Academy dipshits. And it was like, I don't know, the word magic, you know? It was. It was. It was destiny. I, I mean, it, it must have been. It was just the right time for him, and me, and this show to get together to work on the English dub. You know, it was one of those kinds of things. But you know, that's kind of how it is for all of the actors who were who were in that show. It was like the right time for them, you know, to be on a show like this, um, and to have me sitting there, sort of writing their dialogue for them and guiding them through their performances and helping put it all together so that someone could enjoy it so that it could give someone, you know, 25 minutes of just fun in their life. It just seemed like it was a, it was like a kind of like just a little perfect storm in a way, you know? So I'm, I'm super honored and happy that I got to meet Ben um, and I got to work with him um, because it was like, you know, it was like one of those moments, like when I, whenever I work with, you know, um, a really amazing actor for the first time, I kind of sit back and I go, wow, Alex, you're pretty lucky to be here right now because they're really making the dialogue work. Um, they're really putting their heart and soul into it and um, they're having fun. And, and that's always a good thing. Like the very first time um, I was working with Tony Oliver um, on a, sh I think it was, no, that that wasn't the first time. It was like the it was like the first series I ever got. It was a, something called Toko, T O K K O, and it, oh yeah, that was on Sci-Fi. Yeah, that thing. Working with Tony when he first came in, it was like, okay, I remember running home from school or actually skateboarding home from school to watch Robotech when it came out. So I'm dating myself. Yeah, I'm, you know, I'm, a, you know, I'm 45, so I'm not like a spring chicken or anything like that. But, you know, that was that was an exciting show. And then, you know, all the like I've worked with pretty much most of the actors from Robotech now. And every and every time one of them came in and I got to meet them for the first time, I would sit back and go, 
God, they were part of my life. They actually made, you know, that getting home from school, they, they made, they, they gave me a reason to get home from school faster. And I, and I think I've told them all this, that how much I appreciated that in my life. Because Robotech, you know, I didn't think, I, I, Robotech wasn't anime to me back then. Um, it was a cool show that was on TV. Japanese or created in Japan or not, a mixture of two different shows or not, I didn't give a fuck. That show was pretty damn cool. Um, and, and I loved their work in it. And I, and I let them all know how much it meant to me. Um, now, of course, you know, these days they come in, they're like, oh, fuck, Alex, you want me to scream again? Oh, come on, didn't we get this last time? You know, so now they give a <laughs> shit. But you know, <laughs> at, least, at least I can sit there and smile and go, Rick Hunter's giving me shit now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Minmay's pissed off. Mm-hmm. At me. Suck on it, fanboys. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it seems from your uh, Twitter conversations with certain actors and actresses that you, you care very deeply for their throats. <laughs> <laughs> no, actually I do. That, that stuff, yeah, that stuff on Twitter, um, it's all just a joke. I mean, it's... Um, it's one of those things where um, I, it, when we get to those kinds of scenes and stuff, um, it's I, I have to be very careful. Um, so I, I'm always I'm always very um, sensitive to um, you know what the actors got coming up. You know, do they have an important session right after ours? Um, how is their energy level today? How is their voice doing today? Um, usually. Um, yells and screams and attacks that are that I need to be very energetic or very very on point um, I'll just skip them and save them for the end of the session um, and if we, they can't do it at the end of the session because they've got like you know some kind of like um, I don't know some huge gig or something um, we'll just skip it until the very next session um, and then you know <clears throat> so I'm very uh, I'm, I'm, I'm very flexible that way. I, I, and, and again, that's just from, you know, from experience. Um, most voice actors, when I was starting up, um, the voice actors that I got to work with, the veterans, um, they were, they all were very helpful to me, um, as far as like helping me figure out the dialogue that I'm supposed to have with the voice actor. And, um, but there were definitely times when, you know, they'd say a line, and then the next line would be a scream. And then I'd say, oh, okay, loop number 453. And they're like, okay. <laughs> and then we'd preview it in Japanese, and they'd go, ah! And I'm like, okay, well, um, can we do, okay, let me have another one, and I just need you to belt this scream out. Ah! Okay, thanks, great. Um, we need a safety, because the engineer didn't quite, sort of, it sounded like the compressor kicked in and kind of messed your take up. Can we do it one more time? Yeah, Alex, can we please skip this or say this to the end of the episode? You know, I mean, it's like, if, you know, Wendy Lee's like telling me that, and I'm like going, oh, why? She's like, because my throat hurts, Alex. I'm like, oh, oh <laughs> I, I'm so sorry, Wendy. <laughs> we we will most definitely skip this <laughs> and just leave it for the end of the end of the end of the session today. Um, and so through trial and error, um, the the veteran voice actors actually trained me to do what I do. And how I do it. <laughs> so, um, yeah, with people like Bryce, who, I mean, Bryce is just a go-getter. Um, 
he he just wants to give 110% on everything that he does. But even with him, I mean, if we if we come to a screen, I know he can handle it for two takes and move on to the next line. But we always skip it because I know that it's just it's just courtesy, you know. Just let leave it leave it until the end of the session because you know that actor's voice is truly their instrument. And if you break that fucking thing, ugh, that's that that you know that hurts them in, in, in you know their next session, their next director, whoever it is. Um, you know it'll it, it'll <laughs> they may have to give up a job uh, because they they have to heal. I try to. I try to be respectful of that. So all that stuff that goes on on Twitter, like that, you know, 10-minute scream shit list and stuff like that that I got going, that hashtag. Yes. Uh, no, that's just... I didn't even notice that one yet. Oh, yeah. No, it's, I've, I've been keeping it between, like, Carrie Karanin and Bryce and stuff, and it's I don't I haven't been, like, publicly doing anything that some of the fans have picked up on it, and that's kind of cool. Um, but, yeah, no, I mean, uh, it, I just... I have nothing but a lot of respect for... for, for all of the voice actors I've ever worked with, um, veterans to noobs, um, they've all they've all come to the party and and you know put their heart and soul into these things and and it's just my job to sort of support that and cheer them on hmm. and not damage their voices. In yeah. the <laughs> so actually, do you have more fun working with a fresh actor or a veteran? Oh, um, you know I don't have a preference. That way, I have more fun working with an actor, any actor, um, who just comes in with an open mind and an open heart, and um, and and doesn't like just give me the I'm protecting my voice now and my energy now. Read, meaning, I mean, Takarada could have gone any any number of ways with the dialogue that I was I was sort of fashioning for him. I mean, you could read it as What's up, you Honoji Academy dipshits? Or what's up, you Honoji Academy dipshits? Or the way Ben did it, which was kind of perfect. You know, ultimately, it's like, it's like if a voice actor comes in and is just again an open mind and open heart and the will to try to do something special with this stuff. Um, that's those are the people I love working with and have the most fun with. It's, I mean, not every day is the same. Um, sometimes actors you have a blast with one day um, come in on a different show, different character, and they and they, they just, I don't know. I don't know what it is. Maybe something happened to them earlier in the day. Maybe they're worried about something. Maybe they're just done with it, you know? They just don't want to give it that extra oomph that the line needs to make it feel real, to make it feel like the, like this character is saying this for the first time ever, you know? And that's when you have to jump in as a director and say, hey, that was, you know, that was, that was okay. It's just missing a little bit of spark or color or I need to feel your enthusiasm or I, I don't think the audience is going to understand the shit that's going on in your head while you're saying this. I need to feel a little bit of what you're worried about, you know, or, or buddy or chick, you need to step up to the plate because you need to earn the effort or the expression or the shock of the character that's 
this a character that's going to come right after you say this line. I mean, you have to shock this character. So you have to earn that. Um, and right now, take number four ain't still ain't earning it. So we're doing take number five. Hope you don't mind. I mean, I, I'm, I'm not as brutal as that when I speak to an actor, when they're just not into it. Um, I, again, because I try to be very respectful of, of, of their process, how they come to the character and how the character becomes a part of them and comes out of them through their performance. Um, I'm, I, it's usually like walking around eggshells with some people, or I should say walking on eggshells like some people, with some people, but again, Ultimately, I, I, I have to be their cheerleader, and I have to let them know that whatever they're doing, I'm really grateful for, but I just need a little bit more, I just need a little bit more support or spunk or spark or, or a little bit more attitude, just a little bit more something to raise this, this line from just a line to something that means something to that character. I know it sounds artsy fartsy, but I mean honestly, this is what directing is. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter whether you're doing live action, whether you're doing um, an audiobook. From what I understand about about directing audiobooks, a video game, an anime, a live action movie. If you're dubbing that, um, it doesn't matter if you're doing voiceover, um, if you're doing you know original animation, if you're just an actor, you know on the stage. That's what that's all about. And that's why when fans ask these voice actors, what do you recommend um, I do? Because I want to be a voice actor too. Nine times out of 10, these voice actors will say, you should take some acting classes, you know, get into theater, you know, work, do short films, you know, go out, you know, be in short films with dialogue, hopefully. Um, you know, uh, train your voice, um, live life, <laughs> you know, all that stuff. You draw from all that stuff as an actor to bring to the table when you're doing a character. Now, I, you know, going back to uh, Kill a Kill, um, you know, Carrie is one of the sweetest people I've ever met, incredibly creative. Um, she has a background in, um, I believe it's, it's theater, but she's she's exceptional at improv. She can she can turn something on its head in such a creative way, and I mean she's she's just really amazing doing that stuff. But my God, when she came in for Satsuki, she struggled with Satsuki. I don't think I'm saying anything out of turn or anything because I believe she said this before in panels and stuff. But Satsuki was a difficult character for her to nail. But you know what? We just worked on it. And we just worked on it. It was just, it was just constant. Carrie, don't worry about it. This is the character. Um, just come to her. It's okay. You'll find her eventually. And eventually, it was like a light bulb that went off in her, in her um, where she was like, "Got it. I know where this character comes from in my voice," because that was another thing for her. She had never done a character voice that came from that kind of deep, sort of slow, uh, sort of smooth, resonant place. Um, and that's where she had to be. So, I mean, literally, we set up all of these brick walls for Carrie when she came in. I, at the beginning, I was like, okay, I don't know if, 
if this casting is right, because I don't, I've never heard Carrie do this. Her audition seemed like it was sort of in the right place. Um, but when we actually got there in the studio and started working on it, it, it was really hard for her to get this sort of smooth, deep, resonant sort of power to what she was doing. And she was, she was beating herself up about it a little bit. And I think at the end of the first day, she sent me a text and was like, uh, I'm, I'm not coming back, am I? And I mean, that's for real. That's what she did. And I, just, I, I was like, no, that's no. You're coming back. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Watch the show. See what see where Sotsky's going. You have to watch the show, Carrie, to know where Sotsky is going, um, and how she relates to everybody. Watch the show. Think about it. Don't beat yourself up about it. Next session is going to be much better. And something happened in between that first section, first session and the second session, because my God, she came in, she still struggled a little bit with it, but not as much as the first session. It was, it was like a switch went off in her. It was, or a switch went on in her, I should say. And there it was, there was Satsuki. And we went back and we redid a couple of the lines from you know the previous session, just because now that, we ha- now that Carrie had a handle on it, it wasn't fair to let that stuff go through. Right. Like I wouldn't do that because I mean, my name goes on the show and I want to be proud of it. And also I want the actors to be proud of it too. Um, and also, also I want the fans to, to enjoy what they're watching without hitting those weird brick walls. that sometimes happens in dubs when you're rushing through them. Um, and when you're rushing to record them or anything, and then the, that line hits that just doesn't seem like it belongs coming out of that character. Or that performance, it seems like it's it's not quite living in the in the same universe as the line before or something. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So we went back, we did a couple of those lines, and by now, you know, it was we were, you know, it was just the first four episodes I think we were recording, and um, by the end of it, um, Carrie had Satsuki nailed. Same goes for Erica Mendez. Never worked with her. I think she was in a Walla session for the first season of Sword Art, maybe, or maybe it was Madoka. I'm not sure. Um, it was, you know, I knew she was on this Magi show that Anaplex was doing, and she was playing the lead in that. Um, totally different character, totally different voice. But Mami Okada had a lot of faith in her because um, for Ryuko, Ryuko's got to sound kind of tomboyish, kind of more like a boy. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Erica did her um, audition, and I heard it. Hitaway heard it. We thought, okay, maybe. Got her in, and it just seemed like it sort of worked. But the, what Erica had to do to her voice to put that haze on it, it, it wore her out because she had to, I think she had to like tense up her throat or something to do it. And, and I'm just talking, like, just to put, just when Ryuko's saying her, you know, her first line or whatever, like, stealing half-eaten lemons from people, kid, whatever. So just putting that little bit of, like, haze or gravel or texture or something, scratchiness on her throat, it's, um, it, it, that took, you know, some effort. And it, it did, you know, doing that for, like, two hours straight is, you know, along with attacks and, you know, and then getting, you know, and having to, you know, yell 
angrily at people, that's physically pretty demanding. But again, with Erica, it was like, I, I, I don't know if she, if she thought, I, I don't know if she felt um, good about herself after that very first session or not. Because again, I didn't know her, so you know we didn't have contact information for each other or anything like that. I hope she felt, okay, well, I think I did as good as I could. Um, hopefully, they don't recast me, and I'll see them again tomorrow or the next day. And we did because you know what? She, her attitude, something, something about what she was doing, what she was bringing to Ryuko, worked for Ryuko. The voice stuff. We can work around that. We can we can figure out what the best way of attack for recording her would be, so that we don't destroy her voice. It did work, you know, just because her you know when she starts raging, she gets really loud, and you know we can't just skip all those lines and save it for the end of the session when an entire episode is her yelling at Satsuki. <laughs> you know, it's like well, we have to record something. But, you know, to Erica's credit, um, she stuck with it. She was incredibly brave, and she listened. She listened. She took she took my advice. I think the first couple of lines, the, that lemon line, were the ones that we recorded. Yeah, I'm pretty sure those were the first things we recorded with her. And I remember, like, half an hour goes by, and we, were, we recorded those lines and stuff, and I just didn't like it. It didn't, it, it seemed like Erica was holding back, but she was being kind of careful about it. Um, and then I figured out what was going on, um, and I, I, I went into the booth with her, and I said, why are you standing like that? And she was kind of standing with, like, her arms crossed, and just, you know, she kind of had, just, I don't know, she just was standing kind of, kind of weird. And I'm like, we're going to try these lines again, and I want you to hook your thumbs in your pockets and slouch. And she was like, oh, <laughs> whatever, really? I mean, literally, she said that to me, and I, I wanted to fucking kick her out right then and recast it. But <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. She didn't say that. She, she, uh, she just kind of like looked at me and she's like, "Really?" I'm like, "Yeah, physicalize it. You know, be be Ryuko. I mean, Ryuko's kind of a punk rocker. You know, I mean, she's she's a juvenile delinquent in school. She didn't really give a shit. She beat she beat boys up. You know, she's had kind of a rough life. She didn't really get along with her dad. You know." You know, her dad sends her to a fucking boarding school for the, her whole life. It's like, what, what the hell's that? So I'm like, you're kind of a punk rocker. I mean, listen to the Japanese. Look at the animation. See how she stands when she challenges someone or when she's, you know, puffing up her chest and fronting, you know? It's kind of like there's something, she, there's something very specific that the animation is doing and there's something very specific that the Japanese actor is doing. And so it's kind of like get into that attitude. One of the ways to do it is to physicalize it. And so she did. And then we went back and we re-recorded the lemon line. And then uh, the lines after it, too, because now, boom, she had it. And then, of course, we had to record you know, the rest of the show, which was her yelling at people and calling them assholes and dicks and stuff and <laughs> doing all that stuff. So it was, it was one of those things where she, she, came, she came to the show. She might have been terrified of what she was being set up for. I mean, it's, you know, it's a huge title. It was already really popular when we started working on it and super popular, not just really popular, but like super popular. Um, lots of, lots of conversations about, is it misogynistic? Is it, 
you know, does it talk about Buddhism? Is there like a secret message? You know, why is the school shaped that way? All this shit. There was just tons of talk about it. So there was a lot of like, I'm sure she was under a lot of pressure just personally because she didn't want to suck. I just tried every day with her to just let her know that no, she didn't suck, that she was doing the best she could. And God damn it, we're going to do one more take because it's going to be even better. I guarantee it. And so I hope that when she watches the show, and when she's tweeting along with the fans and people are, you know, paying compliments and stuff, I hope she's patting herself on the back super hard because she deserves it. She deserves it. She worked so hard on Ryuko. You don't even know. Nobody will ever know how hard she worked on that. Same with Carrie. Same with same with everybody in the show. Same with Christine Cabanos. Holy shit. You know, is Mako? Oh yeah. my god. Yeah. I mean, no. Everybody. Everybody worked so hard on that show, and, and I and I hope that everybody understands why they worked so hard. I hope everyone gets that moment at a convention when a fan comes up to them and says, you know what, I really loved that show, and I loved what you did, and it made my life okay for 25 minutes. Hmm. I know, I can talk a lot. You guys yeah. opened this can of worms. You guys opened this can of worms, man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> It was a very interesting story of, of how you approach these characters with different actors because we have talked with uh, Erica, of course. She talked about uh, the process of getting to Ryuko and mentioned that uh, it was suggested that she do kind of a, a Clint Eastwood. Mm-hmm. Yep, that was one of the things I told her. I said, yeah. because, because that was one of the things that seemed like it seemed like apparent because she would like, like Ryuko would narrow her eyes talking to somebody and sort of, and sort of in the animation, her eyes would narrow and she'd talk out of the side of her mouth. And those are very, very, for me, um, you know, I don't, I don't say, I don't tell these actors, hey, you know, um, this character's kind of like, you know, Johnny Young Bosch's character in Bleach or whatever. You know, I don't do that. I, I try and dredge up imagery from movies that people can latch onto. Mm. You know, I, I mean, that's, and, it, and it's usually I try to do iconic stuff that, that, actors of all ages can relate to, meaning mm. that the newer actors all the way to the veterans. Um, I don't have to do it with the veterans um, as much just because they've, they've been working in anime for so long and in voiceover in general and on camera and theater and musical theater and all that stuff that they already have, you know, I mean, they've already got a handle on characterization. They, they, they just literally know what to do. I can say, um, you know, I could tell Kirk, uh, Kirk, you're going to be like Clint Eastwood in this thing, and boom, done, done. It's not, it's not too difficult. He will, he will get into a physical stance that kind of, you know, approximates a gunfighter, Clint Eastwood, in like, you know, Good, the Bad, the Ugly, or Fistful of Dollars, or whatever. And you know, I mean, he won't like full on draw or anything like that, but he will do subtle things like that, and that actually helps his performance. So, you know. I will take that stuff that I learned from Kirk and from all the other veterans and I will apply it and give it to these newer actors and hopefully that helps them and hopefully they get that. So when you when you have a show that you're you're working on, how do you decide what direction you want to take a character in? Kind of kind of in general, where do you where do you start that process? It's always from the Japanese. I always um, I always start with what I'm hearing in the Japanese, it's that is always sort of the clue that tells me how they relate to the other characters around them, 
if one character is soft-spoken and another one is a little bit brassier, you know, that kind of, that kind of um, helps me figure out how they communicate with each other, meaning the kinds of words and phrasings that they use amongst themselves. Are they good friends? Are they total strangers? And I, and I try and build that into um, the script as I'm adapting it. So say like Sinon in SAO, well, there's two sides to Sinon. There's Sinon, the avatar, the, the, the personality that exists in games, in Gun Gale Online specifically. And then there's Shino, who is the real world version of this character. And two different characters that Michelle's got to play. So Shino is a lot more shy um, and, and her damage is, you know something's going on, that she's not confident, that she's damaged. And then through the story, you find out why. But Sinon, on the other hand, and this is why this, is why this character is such a compelling character in Sword Art, um, Sinon is Shino trying to heal herself through the game, which so many gamers can relate to, whether they want to admit it or not. Games allow people to be bigger than life, better than themselves in real life. It allows them to take charge of their destinies and, and have control over something for however long they're playing. It, there's also a dark side, and that's part of what Sword Art also is bringing out um, as, as one of its themes, is that um, you know, the world of, of a game is, is a reality too. And if you come into a game thinking that you can be an asshole or whatever, it's usually an extension of your real-world persona that you cannot or will not, because of societal norms or whatever, uh, allow out in real-world conversations or communications. In games, you can let out your frustration on people and things. You know, So many people I know play games against their co-workers, and they're brutal to each other. Fucking animals, you know? <laughs> but in a, in a weird way, they're working stuff out that they can't work out in, you know, at work or whatever. It's a, it's a kind of a form of therapy, as long as it, you know, doesn't cross a certain line. Um, as long as you're not killing people for real in games. <laughs> well, you know, that's, you know, that's the thing. That's the thing. It's kind of like, you know, it's, it's, but, but then with Kirito is he has a, a whatchamacallit, he has a, he has a code of honor, a code of ethics. So in games, he, because of what happened to him in Sword Art Online, he has um, altered his worldview a little bit. He's trying to be a better person too, hmm. both in life and in the game. You know, yeah, he's kind of a heartbreaker, but he's, he's really naive. And that's why he kind of gets himself into these situations with, you know, the girls of the harem. You know, they're all kind of, they all kind of love him, right? Um, some of them more than others, but his heart does belong to Asuna, ultimately. And he doesn't mean to be a heartbreaker, but these girls are attracted to him because of his, his code of honor. He brings his real-world self into the game and his real-world values into the game, and that's how he plays. Yeah, he goes balls out, and he's, you know, he stands up for people who can't defend themselves, um, but he always, it always comes from a, a place of, of, of humanity with him. 
a game is not just a game to him. It's another reality. It is reality because he's in it, you know, and that's his reality. And so he's going he's gonna to handle himself the way he would on the outside with, with honor and with dignity. He's going to treat people with respect. So that's my soapbox. <laughs> now see if only the sword art haters would hear this. <laughs> you know, the sword art haters, I, I, I get where they're coming from. There are problems with the story. I think people made such a huge fucking stink over the second season, or the second arc of the first season of Sword Art Online. I love it. I love it because of what's going on inside Lifa. Here's this guy who, she, who comes into her life when she's this little girl, and she knows he's her cousin, right? But his parents died horribly. All she knows is here's this boy, and he's, he's hurt, he's damaged, he's withdrawn. She, she doesn't know anything. She's, she's younger than he is. And here comes this person who's, who now her mom is telling her, okay, he's going to live with us now, but don't talk about what happened to his parents. You know, we're going to raise him as ours. And gradually, this mystique of this withdrawn boy that's living in her house, who's always on, online and always just playing video games and stuff, who, who, I guess their grandpa, you know, who was a kendo teacher, tried to teach him kendo to get him out and to get him, you know, like, you know, doing something more quote unquote worthwhile than playing video games. You know, he learned what he learned and then, but he pissed his grandpa off and then he, he, he threw it away and he ended up going just in his room and playing video games. I mean, that created this mystique around Kirito for her. I get that. Now, regardless of if they're cousins or not, that that's beside the point. We're talking about kids here. You know, if you want to turn it into like an ew factor, uh, or whatever, it's like, that, well, that's that's where you come from, and that's fine. But really, what's going on is that, you know, here's this here's this girl who just she's got this uh, she's put her her, her uh, cousin on a pedestal, and that has turned into something deeper. And then, oh my God, she meets this dude in the game, and she thinks, wow, this guy. I really like this guy. She reminds me of someone who I really like. And she falls in love with him. And then, you know, I don't want to spoil it for people who haven't seen the first season, but at this point, I mean, who hasn't, right? Because I'm sure they've already talked about how shitty the second fucking arc is. <laughs> you know, it's like, why try and sell him? And then, right. and then the other criticism about Asuna being the damsel in distress in the cage and Kirito being like the fucking flawless hero and all that stuff. It's like, come on, guys. What do you want to compare it to? Please compare it to something, you know? It's like compare it to a show that you like. Don't just say that it sucks and it's bullshit because it's not. It's a fucking soap opera. Right. It's a soap opera that's trying to tell people, hey, you know, video games is a reality or are a reality. Right. And, and people take this shit seriously when they're playing because that's their reality for that two hours or whatever. Some people take it to the extreme. Yeah, sure. They don't They don't ever sign off. And they play all the time and stuff. But man, you know, it's this is a reality for people. This is how they live their lives. They have that life in the game where they make choices and they do things just like in, quote unquote, the real world. And so they have their problems in game. They have relationships in game, you know? So uh, all that stuff, 
that's what I'm like going, wow, Sword Art is actually a really cool show. I love it. I've loved every single minute of it. Well, <laughs> <laughs> maybe well, not certain okay. minutes. <laughs> no, there, there is one thing, and I, and I kind of understand. Um, has the flashback shown up yet? Where Kirito talks about his PTSD? Yes, it has, right? Yeah, yeah that okay. has. Okay, so I honestly, I think that should have been part of Sword Art Season 1. That's so what a lot, lot of people say. Yeah. yeah. I do too. Really? Yeah. I just, it's, it's one of those things when I was watching Sword Art as it was streaming with everyone else, when it got to that part, I mean... Well, when it got to the part where Kito's like, oh, oh, he's from SAO, you know, he's from Minecraft or whatever. And I'm like going, what's his fucking trip? And then he, they go into that flashback and I'm like, oh, cheater. Yeah. <laughs> Where'd this come from? This is so important. <laughs> but I'm, I'm willing to believe that he compartmentalized through the entire time of the, the second story arc because his one focus was, I got to get Asuna back. This yes, is the love uh, of my life. I got to get her back. She's yeah. in some terrible situation, and I gotta, I gotta get her. Yeah, literally, he's got a death clock. He's got like you know a, a week or four days or something like that, and he's got to find her and and see if she's even in that game to get her out of that coma. He doesn't know for sure. He just gets, has this blurry picture that Aegil gave him or whatever or showed him. But yeah, so compartmentalizing—that's how I kind of rationalized it too, um, just because it's kind of like okay, well, that second arc of Sao. Was or the Alfheim arc was yeah it took place in a very compressed period of time whereas Sword arc the, the first arc the Einkrad arc um, that took place you know that was a two year stretch so yeah, exactly and the truth of the matter is the a lot of the storylines that happen in the first Sword arc anime was stuff that happened in the second book which is stuff that kind of fills in the gaps. And it creates uh, certain inconsistencies and issues because of of how uh, Reki Kawahara wrote that. And oh. also in Gun Gale, later on, he wanted to fill in some more gaps. And that it's it's not the best written way of telling this story for certain, but I think it's still a very compelling story. Oh, okay. See, yeah, I've I haven't read any of the books or any of that stuff. I'm just going by. What I'm ah, watching on the anime. Yeah, I, I think they released the first book it translated into English already, right? Yeah, yeah, uh, I believe. But is it uh, just the first book? I think maybe a couple of them are out in America now. See, I'd like to track those down after I'm done with this um, with this batch of sword art online, just to see what's going on and see how that explains. But yeah, no, I, I mean, I don't... I, if that stuff isn't translated into English, I... I can't use it. I can't access it as um, as uh, uh, research. Um, when I started Sword Art, I was just going off of what I saw on the subtitles, and then going online and you know figuring out, uh, you know, going to forums, reading the fans um, talking about the show and what they're getting out of the show and what they're you know seeing thematically within the show and about the characters and all that stuff. That I would use as research. Um, well, and of course, whatever um, Kitaway, who also was the producer for Anaplex on that show, would tell me because she was in every session for Sword Art, just like uh, Blue Exorcist. She was in every session, just like Kill the Kill. She was in every session. Same with Madoka. 
um, every session she was there. So literally, I had someone there who could tell me exactly what that translation means or exactly what is going on right here. And But she was my point person. Um, sometimes she could have access to the folks in Japan, but it, it was very limited access, believe it or not. So a lot of the things that we did were things, you know, because of this team that we had in there. Hidoe, me, the recording engineer, the actor. Now, particularly with Sword Art, did you also do a little research into existing MMOs? Yes. Um, yeah, I did. Um, I did. I I went. I I'm. I I don't play MMOs. Um, I don't even have a video game console, and here's why. Um, oh, I still have my PS One. Um, I'll say that, and I have a uh, PlayStation and uh, uh, what is it? I think. <laughs> A game, uh, uh, a Nintendo DS that someone gave me. I don't play video games because it's like Twitter. I'm doing it all the fucking time now, right? <laughs> and I'm seriously considering deactivating that account because it's just, it's, it's just, this is, this is work at this point, and it is truly interfering with me writing the next batch of Sword Art, the right. final, you know, the final leg, the fucking. You know, I mean, the, the 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 Mother's Rosario arc of all oh, things. Man. Yeah, so it's like, I need to be on point for this. Um, Jeremy's counting on me because she's chomping at the bit to start. So it's kind of like, as far as MMOs and stuff go, I know about them. I, I, I have lots of friends who play them. Um, but yeah, I went online and I did some research into terminologies and, and I would watch playthroughs. Um, yeah, the terminologies always seem to be very on point. Oh, good. Okay, I'm glad that I, I'm at least getting that right. Um, <laughs> because that was something I was really worried about. Um, and in the first season, the engineer who was recording that first season, um, Oscar Garcia, um, he is very dialed into um, gamer culture and stuff. And so he helped out a lot, too. There were some lines where it was just, I was using the term in a very sort of weird way or something and he would lean over and he'd be like hey Alex um, I think I think it's better if you you know do something like this with it or something or, or you know what Alex don't use that term right here this that's not the right one and so I learned you know a lot from him also um, about it okay good I'm, I'm glad that I'm glad that I'm not tripping tripping over the words with that stuff at least so that you know again I, I, I try to I try to make sure this stuff I'm trying to make sure I disappear into the background as much as possible so that people are experiencing the stories and the characters and um, and are not getting hung up with like some guy trying to, you know, trying to push this, you know, idea on them. Like, you know, a term that, you know, doesn't quite belong or work or, you know. But what? now you're going to tell me I'm a hypocrite and you're going to say, you're going to give me an example. Go no, for it. No, I, I, I wasn't. This, this is a completely different topic. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, I see a lot of a criticism going around for uh, for anime that punch up the script, not necessarily to the point of let's say Saturday morning cartoons, but you know just looser scripts in general. Uh, so, what is your approach, particularly handling vulgarity? Because in comparison, Kill a Kill is is very very vulgar <laughs> compared God to Sword it. Art. Yes. Sword art's a lot, <clears throat> a lot less vulgar. There's, there's hardly any 
cursing at all. Right. Okay. So um, with Kill a Kill, when we started out, I was told that Cartoon Network had passed on it. And then I said, Kitoe, this um, I'm just starting this thing. Um, I'm, I, I think this show, the way it is, you can go two ways. You can be um, extremely careful and gentle and dance around the humor, or you can be as in your face with the dialogue as it is with the visuals. And uh, again, because I had not, because all of Kill la Kill had not aired yet, I started around episode 17 or 18. That's when I started writing it. From what I saw of the show and what was going on, um, it was one of those situations where just talking to Hidue and, um, and asking her permission to go there and just stating my case, saying, you can, this can absolutely be another, just another quote-unquote dub of a show. But shouldn't this be bigger and better than even Gurren Lagann? So I did say that. Go ahead, people hate on me. Ooh. Yeah, no, it's, uh, it was one of those, it was, it was a situation where I said, this is a show that's got way more balls. It's crazier. It doesn't have the kind of story that, like, this show isn't, you know, Gurren Lagan is a totally different show. Same creators and everything, right? But it's a totally different show. It's got a lot of, like, depth and heart um, in a different way. In a lot of ways, Gurren Lagan is um, it, it, as wacky as it can get and as over the top as it can get. It's a lot like Sword Art Online um, in, in that sort of respect. Um, but Kill a Kill is just unbridled insanity. And so, mm-hmm. and so that's what I meant by saying that. Um, again, I don't want to offend anybody, but I know I'm probably going to offend people. But it, 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 this was an opportunity to make this English dub work with the visuals more than anything before it. Um, if characters are aggressive, if, if this character is set up, if Ryuko's set up to be kind of like this punk who went to boarding school, she'd be calling people dicks and assholes, you know? She'd be saying shit, you know, every now and then. She's unrefined. The girl's unrefined. And you, and you can't be unrefined if you're saying words like, I will find out who killed my father, darn it. You know, <laughs> that's that kind of stuff. <laughs> it takes you out of the moment. Well, yeah, it takes you out of the moment because it changes the character, doesn't it? In Japanese, when you're listening to it in Japanese, there's so much fire behind that performance and that voice. It matches the animation. And it's like, yo, you stand up and you, you take notice. You're like, whoa, who is this girl? Um, in English, I mean, if we don't do the same thing, but in English then we're kind of not really we're, we're not really being as effective as we can be so since i found out the cartoon network passed on it or you know they, they i guess it was too hot to handle for them at that at that moment in time or something i said anyway consider this let's try it i won't i won't go into really really bad words um you know, the quote-unquote taboo words, but um, it would be nice to have these kinds of words appear in places um, just to help define these characters 
for an English adult audience. Um, this show is not for kids. Again, it's this is the show. I mean, kids may be watching it, which is kind of interesting, but okay. But <laughs> you know, the show itself, I think, you know, maybe if you were to rate the show, I would say PG thirteen. That's how I would think think it would be. So then I I sort of tailored my language usage um, to that to that rating. Um, although I did almost slip a fuck in there, and oh. damn it, yeah, it was in episode four. And it's when it's when Michael Ogare points to how how or I think it was either Mako or Maiko points to uh, how many traps they have to you know uh, jump over or to, to get through to get to the top of the school uh, on No Tardy's Day. And so there's this moment when Ryuko's mouth just hangs open, and I forget what it was in Japanese. I don't know if it was like a if it was just an effort or something. But I was like, oh, I'm so going for this. And, I, and so I just wrote F, F, U, 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 dash, dash. And so Erica got to that. And she's like, what the hell is this? And I'm like, just watch it. Listen to the Japanese. And so she did. And then she looks over the way Erica always looks at me. It's kind of like, just like, she just has this sort of look like, you got to be fucking kidding me. And, and I'm like, so do you get it? And she's like, I don't know how this is going to fit. And I'm like, it's kind of like this. That's what I'm looking for. She's like, so you basically don't want me to say fuck, but start. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, something like that. And so it took a couple of takes to get it to get it right, the right length for that particular flap. But so that was as close as we got to saying the F word and kill the kill. <laughs> and that was and that was the only time it happened. But again, it was one of those things where like, does it not work for the moment? If you're if you're one of those subtitle you know if you're part of the subtitle police or whatever then you're probably going to be sitting there with you know a scowl on your face going that was not the original intention well sorry to argue with you but it is the original intention because it's supposed to be Ryuko reacting you know in shock and horror at what they have to get through to get to school did I not do my job so and and on top of that. Did Erica not make you laugh when you heard that? So there you go. The adaptation process is a very slippery slope. It's you can either play it safe, which you know people do, and that's totally fine, um, uh, or you can you can work a little harder and give a little bit more life to the dialogue and work on making sure that all the conversations flow that they sound, you know, like one person is speaking, another person sort of adds to whatever this other person is saying. It's just one line to the next so that it sounds as natural as possible. That's ultimately the goal. But you can't do that unless your script allows you to do that. So that means you have to sort of make the lines, you have to, you have to finesse those lines and make sure that they, that when an actor comes in cold, because most of them do. Not all of them come in knowing the show. None of them come in having access to the script beforehand. When they come in and they look at this line, they'll go, they'll see the line ahead of it and the character, whoever's speaking after it, and they'll have a good idea of how their line and their performance is supposed to fit within that context. That's how it's supposed to work. And if it's done well, then you don't even notice. You're just like, Following along. Oh, story. Cool. 
oh, characters talking. Oh, that's what they mean? Oh, cool. Okay. Oh, I get... Oh, I understand the stakes now. Oh, got it. Okay, now I know what the characters want. Now I know it's bug... What they're... What, you know, it's, it's all the stuff that's going on in your head while you're watching a show that you don't even know that's going on. But this is why you understand why a character makes a decision at episode six that they sort of set up in episode one. You know, it's because of this one line that they had. Since you kind of brought it up, so there's a different approach to handling dialogue depending on the circumstance. So you would handle dialogue differently if if you had a broadcaster in mind. Yeah, because then I would have to ask the client. I mean, again, it was like, I, I don't make these decisions. These decisions aren't aren't all made in the, in the bubble of my, you know, head. Right, right. Um, I'm always very, I, I'm always very careful as to what I'm doing just because, you know, number one, the, the show itself, um, I don't want to be, I don't want to piss off the creators. I certainly don't want to piss off Anaplex. I don't want to make Bang Zoom look bad because, you know, they're the ones who call me in for this work. Uh, so I'm always like, I'm always talking to the client and just making sure that, uh, you know, the choices that I'm making, if they're ex as extreme as, say, Takarada or the profanity issue of Kill la Kill, um, I'm always making sure that they understand where, where, number one, I'm coming from. And I'm always coming from a, a place where, this is an opportunity that I think is going to make the show stand out in the pile of shows that are coming out this year. Or this is an opportunity to make this show resonate with the viewer more. A lot of anime characters don't seem to really speak in the same kind of language as, as the viewers. They, they seem to speak in cadences and rhythms and using phrasing that that seems just a little south of like um, a college professor of literature you know and I, I i try and if if it's not right for the character i try not to do that with the line i try to have the line reflect the time uh, that the show takes place you know future present past if it's past, well, how far back in the past? Oh, it's the Edo, you know, whatever. It's, it's, you know, back in the feudal days in Japan. Okay, well, those people are going to all talk a lot different than Kill a Kill, right? So, mm -hmm. yeah. So it's like those, those are the things that I'm always sort of, that any, that any person who adapts these things, um, those are things that I think we're very conscious of. We always try to make sure that, that the work that we're doing adapting these scripts is, is, um, is correct for the time period and the, and the show. Um, but yeah, so, I mean, yeah, no, Takarada, when, when I was writing him, going back to him, that was not a surprise to Anaplex at all. They knew exactly what, what I was doing, and they knew why I was doing it, and they took a chance. God bless them. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can honestly say that I love how that turned out. It, oh, it good. It was just a riot. Good, good. Okay, no, that, that's then that. I mean that 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 that. I mean there, there it is. That that made my day. That made my day. Wait, I want to. I mean, it's. I, I wish Ben could have talked about that on your podcast because I know yeah. He, oh man, I'm so bummed that we. Was, well, you're just gonna have to have him on again. Yeah, obviously, um, we're just gonna you know, have to have him on again. It's just you know he did not want to. He, he did not want to divulge that secret um, because um, even while. 
when we were recording Takarada for the show, um, I wouldn't tell the actors who was playing Takarada, but I would play snippets of Takarada for them. Like they would come in and I'd be like, hey, what do you think about this? Boom. And we'd put on, what's up, you OG Academy dipshits? And, and they'd be like, like KG Tang's mind melted and dr- drained out of his ears. And he's like, who is that? And I'm like, I'm not telling you. I'm not telling you. Um, and I played it for everybody. I think, I think Carrie, Karen was just like, she, she was laughing so hard. And she just would not shut up about it. Alex, who is this? Oh my God, I'm in love with this person. Who is this? And it was great when I finally got to tell her. I'm like, it's this guy named Ben Diskin. And she's like, Oh my God! I gotta meet this guy. <laughs> she was. Uh, it was. It was pretty funny, and it was great that the other actors were responding to it so well too. That you know they they could they could see that the show wasn't pulling its punches. That's the thing about Kill the Kill. It's a show that doesn't pull its punches. I mean, yeah, you don't see nipples. I mean, you see a, a dick and a ball sack every now and then, but other than other than like Mikisugi's nipples. And or the male character's nipples, um, you know, it's it doesn't really it's it doesn't pull any punches. Every episode has an explosion in it, you know, and those and and, and a freaking comedy. <laughs> I mean, what is that? You know, it's like it's like oh my god. Yeah, that shows insane. <laughs> yeah, you can't be serious, and that you're watching it, and you're just like oh my god. Uh, it's, yeah, and it just gets even, I don't know if you guys have seen the whole thing yet. I have. But, oh, okay. So, yeah, because, I mean, it's, it, it, it goes in some pretty amazing places. <laughs> like, every episode. You would seems... not expect the direction that it goes in, no. I would say. <laughs> no, it's like, it's like so clever and so brilliant. It's like, oh, it's so just... this is what this is all about. Yeah, oh, exactly. Okay. Exactly. And you're like, oh, my God. So, that was, you know, again... You're, when we're in there and I'm adapting the script, you know, I have to think about that and be like, whoa, wait a second. Okay, well, how is Lady Satsuki going to say this line? How is Ryuko going to say this line? Knowing where, where characters are going and knowing where the story is going, it's kind of like I have to be very careful about how I, how I write these things. I can't just say, oh, the translation. Okay, well, the actor can just say the translation. I'm just going to pat it out to, you know, fit the mouth flaps or something. I can't do that. I have to be very sort of diligent on the ball. Otherwise, something that you know Ryuko says in episode one isn't going to come back to the audience in episode 24 when they need to be like, oh my god. Mm-hmm. So it's, yeah, it's, it's all that stuff. Now, that said, I mean, broadcast dubs, the thing that, um, the thing, sort of the, the new trend that's happening now, that's going to be scary waters. Um, I have a feeling one of these days I'm going to be on a job that's going to be one of those broadcast dub jobs, and I don't think it's going to. I mean, I mean, Space Dandy. I think, from what I understand, I haven't seen any of it, but in talking to Patrick Seitz about, you know, how he handled it and stuff, it seemed like Space Dandy was very episodic, so each show was kind of self-contained. You know, uh, am I right or am I? Yeah, it, it was fairly self-contained. Okay, but there was probably like an over, overarching sort of theme that sort of got tied up at the end or something like that, right? Yeah, it was it was kind of deceptive in its in its overall plot while mm. having these individual stories throughout. 
Oh, okay. Okay. Well, it's it sounded like from what Patrick was saying, it sounded like because he was, I believe he adapted. Yeah, he did adapt some of that stuff. Um, it sounded like um, the, adapting that show was a little bit easier. Like something like Sword Art Online or Kill the Kill. If I was to try, you would it, those shows would not be the way they are today in English had they been broadcast dubs. Hmm. It just would it just wouldn't have happened. Because I would not have known all that shit. So there would be lines that would probably not work the way that they are going to work. Mm. So that's the danger um, of these broadcast dubs. I, I, I have not watched many of them. I've, I've watched a couple of the um, Aniplex ones. I, uh, um, I know uh, Bang Zoom's been doing Durarara. Yes, so they've been doing that, but uh, I think, I, I don't know, I don't think they're doing them as the episodes air in Japan, though, right? No, it's about six weeks behind or so. Okay, so it's staggered like that. Okay, so at least they, there's, whoever's adapting that and directing that has yeah. a chance to, uh, has a little bit of, like, uh, um, what's the word, um, stuff to prepare them. Yeah. Um, yeah, okay. Uh, frankly, I thought the turnaround for uh, Sword Art Online 2 was... Very fast. Oh yeah, no, it was totally fast. We were, um, we were. Um, I think we started recording that, or I started writing that. Yeah, it was the same as Kill the Kill. Actually, I started writing that before it had, it had stopped streaming, um, or the simul streaming thing it was doing. Um, I think I I think it was. I think I started writing it halfway through Mother's Rosario or something like that. Hmm. Yeah. So I didn't quite know where it was, uh, where it was heading with that, um, but yeah, um, but it was still something that was manageable for me because, well, coming from the first season of Sword Art, I already knew how all the characters interact with each other, and I kind of already had set up the rules about how they interact with each other verbally. Um, if some of the new characters were obviously like seen on, um, it's that was something that I had to find, but at least Gun Gale was what, you know, a, a 12 episode arc or something like that, or a 10 episode, 12, 13, 14 episode arc. So at least it was like, oh, okay, well, I, I could figure that out pretty quickly. Um, so it wasn't like, oh shit, I, 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 I don't think I can change this line to be more clear because I don't know how clear I'm supposed to be here. You know, it's that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Boy, it sounds like there's a lot of things to think about <laughs> when you're when you're doing this entire process and i i guess maybe we'll, we'll throw in a few uh, general questions uh are there uh shows that you recommend our listeners check out wow what if i the monogatari series is really cool um it's uh um, and it will never be dubbed yeah no <laughs> no, no, no 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 thank god um because i I don't even know how I would approach something like that. It's just the wordplay in it is so... I, I, there is no way you could dub it into English because I, I don't know how to unscramble those puzzles. Those are very specific to uh, Japan, most of them, if not all of them. Mm. Um, but that is a show that I think is... If you don't understand Japanese and you're watching it with subtitles, you're missing like all of the shit that's going on on screen because that stuff is happening so fast. Those cuts are so fast. Those those text blocks that come up are so fast. It's you need to have your finger on the pause button. Yeah. It, it's, and, and then how is, I mean, that's no way to watch a show. 
especially a show with that kind of velocity. And that show's energy depends on the way it's put together. You know, it depends on those cuts. So it's, <clears throat> yeah, it's uh, that, yeah. But I, I really like that show. Um, and I, I really like Oraimo. Um, I loved this uh, little show called uh, Watamote, um, mm. which I, I think I think has been dubbed. Yeah, yeah, Sentai. Oh, okay, cool. Okay, cool. So I've got to check that dub out when I when I have a chance because I have a feeling that would be really that would be really a fun dub. Um, um, and then what else? Oh, One Week Friends. Mm. One Week Friends I really liked. I have not finished it yet, um, but um, I started watching that last year when it started up, and um, I think I got about six or seven episodes into it, but I have not finished it yet, and. I, I guess I'm just going to have to pick it up when I finish with Sorter. This stuff takes so long for me to do, just the writing process <laughs> itself, that it's, you know, just going out to see a movie is uh, difficult, if, if not impossible. Yeah, I'll so, bet. Yeah, it's just, I, I spent I spend, uh, a lot of time on these scripts. Well, we appreciate your dedication. Oh, no, I'm, I, I'm glad. Again, if somebody's, if somebody's enjoying the shows and, and having fun with them and stuff, then... Um, I mean, that's the important thing is, um, you know, cause that's why the shows were made. Um, so if people are getting the message of the show loud and clear, if people are having fun watching the show, then I mean, I can't ask for anything more except working with Ben Diskin again. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> so can we can confirm that a future show that you dub will, will definitely have Ben Diskin in it. I mean, I don't know. Maybe, maybe <laughs> not. It, it depends. It's one of those things where it's kind of like, Every actor I've worked with up to this point in time, um, again, I'll say it, I feel very honored and very fortunate to even have spent a little bit of time with them just because of who they are as people, getting to know them, seeing how they do what they do. It's, um, it's pretty amazing and it's pretty awe-inspiring for someone like me. Again, coming from, coming from the world of live action and my ambitions to, you know, direct a movie and all that stuff and then ending up doing commercials because that was a whole other thing too that was a right hand turn if there ever was to then making another right hand turn into this field it's you know i just um, i'm always i'm always in awe of people who can bring these kinds of things out and and make them alive you know and in doing stuff like english dubs and stuff it I mean, making these things live in a language that the show wasn't intended to exist in. Well, I mean, sword art, maybe, you know, I'm sure when they were doing it, they were already had an eye towards a potential dub or something like that. But Kill a Kill, I don't think Trigger gave a fuck if it was ever dubbed into English or not, to tell you the truth. Yeah, you know? I kind of get that impression. Yeah, because it's like, I mean, it's like, you can't, I mean, if they were thinking that way, then... Kill a kill would not be kill a kill. Yeah. Yeah. It would be watered down so much that it would it would be a sh- like a like a sliver of itself. Mm-hmm. There's there's definitely the uh, the cultural intentions within that show that, that they it just screams Japanese. Oh yeah, Honoji and, and classic Japanese at yeah. that. Yeah, Honoji incident. Come on, you know the four generals. Yeah. Yeah. 
the red thread of fate. Yeah, we don't have that shit. In, but it in also has all those American pop culture <clears throat> references. Oh no, it does have. Did you guys see like all the little things during the uh, No Tardies Day episode? Like yeah, the, the, the um and Pulp Fiction. Yep, Pulp Fiction going on. It was like yeah, I mean, no, they're the they were they were so. They were so smart about what they did and how they did it and how Sushio put in his weird little gags. And, you know, it's kind of like, it, it just, it, 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 it works. It works in Japanese. I, man, I hope it works in English for people too. If, it, if, it, if, it, if they dialed it back anymore, it, yeah, that show would just not be as cool as it is and as crazy. So. Well, Alex, this has been a very interesting conversation. Uh, I-, I could say maybe we could consider this uh, inside the director's studio. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. I don't know. I don't know if maybe you should have some some uh, some some veterans on <laughs> before you you inaugurate <laughs> the show with me. Um, some people with far more uh, credits to their list and far far better experience. You know. For a, a better skill set to draw from, um, just you know, I'm I've, like I said, I've only been doing this in anime for nine years ish now. Yeah, maybe almost ten actually. So it's not that long. I haven't done a whole lot because I, you know, I try to take my time and focus on one thing at a time. And I and every every day it seems like I've learned something new. If I if not about you know. Learning something. You hey, if have. you're not learning, you're dead. Yeah, well, I, that's true, but you know, there comes a point where you do plateau, huh? and and I still, you know, I still, I don't come into work thinking, oh, I know exactly what I'm going to do today. You know, I don't come into work and see Bryce, you know, and go, hey, what's up, man? <sighs> All right, get in there, let's do this. You know, it hasn't gotten to that. It's always like, hey, Bryce, how's it going, man? How was your How was your night last night? Oh yeah, what'd you do? So what are you doing after this? You want to grab some food or something like that? It's like stuff like that. And then while we're in the session, it's like Bryce will do something kind of weird, and it'll be like, wait a second, wait a second, try that again. Wait, maybe just tweak the the way you land that line, you know? Just maybe try tweaking that a little bit, and then he'll do something, and it'll just be like so cool. Or, you know, he'll he'll say something, he'll he'll drop this blooper bomb that's just hilarious. I That's, do hope to hear some of those bloopers someday. Oh, yeah, no, the sword art ones. So, yeah, a lot of times I try to, like, write blooper scenes. Um, for sword art, it's not that hard to write these. <laughs> I bet. <laughs> yeah, it's not that hard to write these scenes. Um, Bryce Pappenbrook takes credit for the Portuguese breakfast blooper, though. Mm. Yeah. Did you hear about that one? I believe I have heard about that one. Okay, so he came in one day and he goes, "Hey, Alex, have you heard about something called the Portuguese breakfast?" And I'm like, <laughs> "It's not what, what it is sounds that? like." <laughs> yeah, what is that? And I'm like, "Was it? Is it delicious? What do you do? You know, where do you? Where can you get this?" And he says, "No, no, dude, Google it." And so I googled it and was like, a whole world of bloopers opened up to me, <laughs> and uh, and so we we ended up assaulting. The uh, the fans at Anime Expo last year with uh, with some of those bloopers and thank you very much. Yes. <laughs> now that said, Kill the Kill is a different story. Even though I do write these weird little blooper scenes, in addition to the bloopers that actors would just drop on their own if they feel that you know if they feel like they want to you know if they got a good idea like Sarah Williams and Patrick Seitz and Kirk Thornton. I mean they just always drop 
And then, of course, Steve Bloom and Crispin Freeman, those guys just are blooper machines. But for Kill the Kill, there's not a whole lot. In fact, I don't think I wrote a single blooper scene, except maybe one or two. If the bloopers for Kill the Kill ever do get released, most of them are probably going to be just the actors messing up or dropping their own little blooper bombs. So mm-hmm. it was just one of those things where it was like I was in, you know, when I was writing the show, it's just, what am I going to do? The scene is already so fucking ridiculous and crazy as it is. You know, it's like, why even bother spending the energy trying to come up with a parody? Yeah, exactly. It's like, what do you do? Nothing. Leave it alone. Um, so... But uh, hopefully, I, I have bloopers for the first four episodes, and there are some good ones in there. So hopefully, I don't know, I don't know if Anaplex is going to release them at some point or not. But I hope, I hope they do because you know what the hell? It's kill the kill. It's, you know, fans need to fans need to hear these guys messing up and having fun too. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you for your time, Alex. No, thank you for putting up with me for two hours. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> well, you certainly can talk. <laughs> Thank you very much. I'm sure. I'm sure if you, uh, if you, I'm sure if you ask any of the actors who've worked with me before and say, "Who is the director who talks the most?" They will all point to me. <laughs> I, I'm, and I'm, I guarantee you that. It's something I, I carry with me uh, proudly <laughs> into the studio. Well, yeah, you definitely didn't need us to ask many questions. So. No, it was like, he just answered all of the potential questions without, you know, without, uh, you know, any direction. <laughs> you just, you just answered them all. We, we, we got nothing else. Okay, well, if you guys come up with anything else, just reach out and I'm, I'll be more than happy to, to, to answer those questions too. And this time I promise to be a lot more, um, succinct with my answers. <laughs> well, my fiance won't kill me too much. So. <laughs> I, I'm very interested in this side of uh, the process of, of dubbing cartoons. So yeah. I, you don't get this kind of uh, information, if you will, about different people's processes. And uh, you certainly shared some interesting things about uh, various actors that we've already talked to that, Put certain things in perspective. Yeah, no, I mean, everybody's different. I mean, um, and especially with actors and their processes, you know, not every actor comes to their roles the same way. So they all have to, you know, they have to figure out how to become that character in order to deliver a believable performance. And so ultimately, both as an adapter, as a person who writes these adaptations, and as as a director, it's my job to help them do that so that, you know, so that they disappear into the show. Right. Cool. Well, thanks again, guys, for having me on. It was it was it was an honor, and I really had a blast too. So seriously, if you guys ever have any questions or anything, just you yeah, know, no problem. We'll we'll definitely reach out to you. Yeah. Uh, you did mention that you have a Twitter, so you want to tell our listeners where they can find you. Oh sure, yeah. If you want to um, send me any hate, uh, it's uh, my my name in lowercase. Uh, Alex Von David, A-L-E-X-V-O-N-D-A-V-I-D, all in word, all lowercase. And you can find me on Twitter. And uh, oof, can't wait to uh, can't wait to see some of the flamings. <laughs> <laughs> Bring it, bitches! Aha! That's a spirit. Well, thanks again, Alex. No, thank you, guys. Bye. We'll talk to you, later. you got it. See ya. Bye.